With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The volume. Boxing with Chris Mannix is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back. Another episode of Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. On this episode, Sergio Mora is back, the former junior middleweight champion, DAZN broadcaster, and we've got a lot to discuss from the Virgil Ortiz fight this weekend. Errol Spence is out of the Manny Pacquiao fight next week. The WBA is behaving badly. And when will fighters start getting vaccines? Another Fight had to be scrapped after a fighter tested positive. Into that and a lot more with Sergio Moore. A little bit later on, Virgil Ortiz Jr., the 147-pound uh, contender. He joins me to talk about his preparation for his fight with Igis Kavalaskis, uh, his future fight potentially with Terrence Crawford, and much more. As always, best way to support this podcast, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right. On to the show. All right. You ready? Mm-hmm. You sure? Mm-hmm. You don't look ready. Is this thing on? It, it's on. Well, then I'm on, baby. Let's do it. No, you're never on. You know, are you going to apologize to my audience right now? About what? The fact that they're going to have to listen to this podcast late because you can't be trusted to do a podcast past 8 p.m. on a Thursday night. I can be trusted, and anyone that works with me knows that I don't function unless I get 11 hours sleep. 11 hours, and then I'm ready to go. Okay, but you couldn't stay in. Why is it every trip I go on with you, I feel like I'm hanging out with a college sophomore on spring break? Because I didn't go to college, and this is my college. (laughs) This is your spring break? This is my spring break. I get away from the kids. Sergio Moore is here, the zone broadcaster former junior middleweight champion, no Invisalign. <laughs> say something nice, Mannix. can't say anything nice right now. I don't know. You've, got, you've got pages of notes in front of you that are indecipherable. 
Like, I don't know what any of the th- those words are on that page. It's just scribbled. It's chicken uh, scratch. Indecipherable is not a word. It is a word. Mr. Boston College. It Come on, a, man. Let's go. Let's talk boxing. It is a word. All right. All right. We are here in Dallas, Texas, where we are going to be ringside for Virgil Ortiz against Igis Mean Machine Caviascus. Uh, it is a 147-pound fight. Big fight for Virgil Ortiz, one of the biggest stars in boxing. Ortiz is 17-0. With all of his wins coming by knockout, Kalowskis is 22-1-1, one, and one, his lone loss coming to Terrence Crawford. Sergio, I love this fight for Virgil Ortiz because I think Golden Boy has done a really nice job matching Ortiz over the last couple of years. He has been brought up the ranks really well with the right opponents, beginning with, what was it, Mauricio Herrera a couple of years ago, a guy that had never been stopped, Ortiz stopped him. Antonio Orozco, former title challenger, Ortiz stopped him. Brad Solomon, who you love, <laughs> uh, a mover, so Ortiz had to track him down, eventually stopped him. In his last fight, his toughest fight, he faces Maurice Hooker, a former 140-pound champion who was a big guy, so it wasn't like there was a huge size disadvantage. In fact, there was no size disadvantage uh, for Ortiz. He stops him as well. Now we get uh, Kavalowskis, who is an accomplished guy, accomplished amateur, uh, has some very good pro wins, has a disputed draw against Sugar Ray Robinson, and has that loss to Crawford. But in that fight, even though officially there was no knockdown, there was a knockdown. You know, Kavalowskis, you know, knocked down Crawford in, I believe, the third round of that fight. So he's a live dog in this fight. What do you think of Ortiz Kavalowskis? You just took all my material. You love hearing yourself talk. I do. Yes, it's a podcast and it's mine, so correct. No, uh, look, you're right. Uh, Robert Diaz, uh, the Golden Boy matchmaker, has been doing an amazing job with Virgil Ortiz. Normally, when he moves fighters this fast, they're bound to have a hiccup. They lose, and then they have to start over. But Virgil Ortiz is passing every single stage uh, that usually fighters with 20, 25 uh, plus fights are doing. He's doing the contenders, the former title challengers, the tall fighters, the shorter fighters, the guys that have never been stopped, the cuties like Brad Solomon. He's passing every test with flying colors by knockout. 17 wins, 17 knockouts. That's very hard to do on the higher level. You can do it when you're fighting guys that are 50-50 record. You can do it with guys that are supposed to get knocked out or have been knocked out. He's doing it against, like you said, Herrera, never stopped. Solomon, never stopped. Orozco, he went the distance with Ramirez. And uh, Mo Hooker, former champion. Every test, he's passing it. So this is just the next big test, and it's his toughest test. Just like every prospect who's, who's in line for a, a, a title soon, you need to move him through stages. This is the next stage. After this fight, he's ready for a championship, hands down. But first things first, the toughest test of his career, and we keep saying that every single fight is against uh, uh, Kavalowski. So what do you want to see from Ortiz in this fight? He has knocked out everybody along the way. But in a weird way, Sergio, I at least want to see Ortiz go into the 10th or 11th rounds. That's the one unknown when it comes to Virgil Ortiz. I mean, he's shown, as his fights have gone a little bit longer, fifth, sixth rounds, he's been just as strong, just as powerful, just as tough. But Kavalaskis is the type of guy that, I mean, look, he took Terrence Crawford into the eighth round of that fight. I want to say ninth, uh, Ninth, he? he took him in the ninth yeah. round of that fight. Um, he's, he's a tough guy. And if you can go nine rounds with Terrence Crawford, you should be able to go nine rounds with Virgil Ortiz. He dropped Crawford. He, he did. hurt 
Crawford, and they didn't call that uh, a knockout. Crawford had a weird game plan that fight. Like, kept fight was it Southpaw? No, 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 no. See, this is the thing. Uh, Kavalovskis fought a patient fight. He he wasn't throwing the the punches he normally throws. He wasn't as aggressive because he 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 gave a different look to Crawford. I think Crawford was was uh, you know turned off or switched off by that. But then of course he turned it on once he got rocked. That's what champions do. Uh, Kavalovskis is a tricky fighter. I, I mean, he he's a strong, experienced fighter, but he has great timing. The number one thing with fighters that are strong and and are experienced like like Kavalovskis is timing. He has the power, he has the strength, he has experience, two-time Olympian, but he has great timing. So that's what give gave up, up Crawford issues, and that's what uh, Virgil Ortiz is going to have his hands full: the the strength, the power, and the timing. So if Ortiz is able to pass this test, I'd like to say I'd love to see Crawford next. Crawford, though, it seems like he's got business with Sean Porter uh, before the end of the year. So we're probably talking at the earliest, the first quarter of 2022. What's out there for Virgil Ortiz? I mean, what's the... Because the welterweight division, while top-heavy, is occupied at the moment. I mean, I'd love to say... Look... Bring on Virgil Ortiz, Keith Thurman. But Keith Thurman's never taken that fight. Keith Thurman only wants, like, the fights that he yeah. handpicks and... I don't know what's going on there. You know who will take that fight? Who will? Sean Porter. Well, Sean, Sean Porter will fight take, anybody. Correct, but he's trying to get the Crawford trying, fight. Trying. No, I mean, if the WBO follows through, which I think they will, and orders a negotiation for that fight, Crawford's either going to have to fight him or drop his belt. And I can't imagine Terrence Crawford dropping that belt. I, I just think Sean Porter makes sense. But like I, like I said... Yeah, if you're to, Porter, you make way more money to fight Terrence Crawford. So what are you even uh, thinking there? Yeah, but, uh, you know... Well, we're thinking ahead. Let's think about Kavalovskis because this is going to be a war. All right, so how does Kavalovskis win? Because one thing with him is that Kavalovskis can hit, and Ortiz, if there's a weakness there, he does get hit during his fights. Yeah, actually, I was talking about that yesterday. We're, we're trying to find a weakness in, in Ortiz, and um, our producer was saying, well, what, what, what does he do wrong? I said, well, we, we haven't seen him in the second half of the fight, so we haven't seen his technique diminish. Because every fighter, you know, you start off the first half of the round, you know, you're full of energy, your technique's on, on uh, but then the second half of the fight, you know, you start, you start kind of your, your, your technique starts breaking apart a little bit. So I want to see Virgil Ortiz when his hands start coming down a little, starts getting hit a little bit stronger. The punches are going through the gloves. How is he going to react to that? He's going to get meaner and keep coming forward. Or is he going to, you know, fight behind the jab and start boxing, realizing that he's never fought in the second half of the fight. So that's what I'm curious about. Cause Kavalowski is not going anywhere. The first seven rounds. I agree. I think it's, he's, he's really good. He's, like I said, a good amateur. He's got, showed a good chin as a pro. I think it's going to be a tough fight for Virgil Ortiz. But if he can finish him in the same way that he's finished every other opponent, I mean, there's going to be big fights out there for him. I kind of compare him, Sergio, in a weird way to, to Gennady Golovkin. Like, Golovkin, another technically skilled fighter with blunt power that didn't... Golovkin, he has one-punch knock guys out, especially with body shots, but... With Golovkin, it's more a wearing of you down. Like, he just continues to pressure you and wear you down and eventually hit you with a big shot. And Golovkin, over most of his career, has shown a willingness to take punches as well, to get on the inside and force that firefight. Ortiz a little bit like that to me in style. Type. 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 Not, he's not, no, type. Not it means yes in Lithuania. Yes, oh, I agree. We're speaking Lithuanian now. Hey, he's a Lithuanian fighter. Are you going to speak Lithuanian? And he, rep- to him in and the he ring? represented Lithuania twice in the Olympics as well. Correct. That's another thing he has in common with Golovkin. You know that Olympic pedigree. And yes, or I'm type. Not, I'm not comparing Kavalovskis to Golovkin. I'm comparing Ortiz to Golovkin. Oh, 
No, I I think <laughs> threw Do you me listen? Out there. Well, anyone anyone that's aggressive with an amateur pedigree, you're going to compare to a, a Golovkin. But I'm talking about uh, uh, Kavalovskis. I think he can also be compared to uh, a Golovkin as well, stylistically. No, that isn't, I mean stylistically, maybe. But I think the level of success Ortiz is having, just knocking everybody out, he reminds me more of. He a, reminds me more of a Fernando Vargas. Uh, you know, it's a good comparison too. I mean, that's yeah. that's fair. Way to listen to what I'm saying to you in these podcasts. I'm mesmerized by how nice your toes are. Can you stop looking at my feet, you creep? <laughs> You'll never see me in sandals. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think I have. So, All right, let's move on. Uh, by now, we know the Errol Spence-Manny Pacquiao fight is off. Uh, Spence is out. Jordanis Ugas is in. Spence was forced out of next weekend's fight after doctors discovered a uh, detached retina, torn retina, during a routine eye exam. This seemed like Sergio... A fairly believable story, just not to Bernard Hopkins. Take a listen. I just had some suspicions about this whole thing, to be honest with you, because I just think that the way, the way it manifests and came out suddenly real fast and no one knew it before is to me just, and I've been around a long time, and I understand certain things that I said because of other things. Um, I'll just say stay tuned if you hear something else other than what everyone was given or was told. Um, I think it's more to the story than what it is. I guess let's start there, Sergio, because Spence posted a photo of him with a bandage over his left eye. So this would have to be a pretty elaborate ruse for Errol Spence to be trying to find his way out of the fight, as Hopkins suggests. Well, you got to remember, Hopkins is not only a great fighter and a great talker, but he's also a promoter. Uh, and the promoter side of him was was talking about Spence and and what was the word he used? Um, oh, he said he was hearing things. About no, no, no. no. He, he used a certain word. He was uh, um, suspicious. Suspicious. But he was suspicious. Well, I mean, that's what you got to do with your competition. The competition is another promoter. So with PBC and, and with the competition with Errol Spence, he's Okay, but be this got to be based in reality, though, right? Like, you've got to, like, have... Like, why would Errol Spence ever pull out of this fight? And why wouldn't he... Look, and, and why wouldn't he... Why wouldn't B-Hop be suspicious of his own fighters at Golden Boy pulling out of fights? Ryan Garcia being one of them. So he can be suspicious out of Not any... Not everything's a conspiracy theory, though. Well, according to Hopkins. But look, he's a great fighter and he's a great promoter. And, and he's great at talking. I look. I just don't think yeah, you, you lose you, credibility with me, though. If, if you if you if with you, you say well, with, with you. most people, though, if you say like look, there's reason to be suspicious. If you don't have no, evidence I, I to back that up, I disagree. You're just bad mouthing a guy. It, it's like MSNBC and Fox News. You know, yeah. One, well, it's no, basically it's, you're gonna watch one or the other. It's not it, the same thing. It's not. There's not even close to the same thing. Bernard Hopkins standing there and suggesting there's something fishy going on with Errol Spence pulling out of this fight with an eye injury is ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous because you cannot sitting there, Sergio. Hold on, you cannot sitting there. Give me one reason why Errol Spence would pull out of that fight. I agree like, with you. I'm not. I'm not saying this. All I'm saying is once you put that in the atmosphere, once you put that in the air, people. Not all people, but some people, foolish people, gullible people, they'll say, hey, wait a minute, maybe he has a point. Maybe he, uh, uh, yeah, and that's why it's bad because oh, he doesn't I'm have anything to back good. it up. I'm not saying it's good. All I'm saying is you put doubt in someone's head, then they're going to run with it. That's just how people are. It's human. Bernard Hopkins did that. He can do it with a fighter that's across the street, but he won't do it with his own stable because he's a promoter now. Well, yeah, of course he won't do it with his own stable. I'm just saying, like, 
to this you, you audience. Don't, you, don't, should... you don't play around with retinas. Detach no, retinas, not. tone retinas. Of course and not. And you never, ever accuse a, 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 a fighter, especially a well-established champion like Errol Spence, doing something like that. That's, that's ridiculous. It's, it, it's, no, 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 no. You don't do that. But Hopkins can get away with it because, one, he's a legend. Two, he's a hell of a promoter. And three, who's going to tell anything to B-Hop? Well, I will. And y- you should, too. I'd like, like to see that. Well, you tell, like, Bernard, what, first question, Bernard, what evidence do you have that Errol Spence is pulling out of this fight for reasons not associated with an eye injury? I would love for you to ask him that question. That's, I would have. I was standing right there. I would have asked that very same question. He wouldn't have had any. He's probably, he's, he's got some hearsay like, well, you know what he, what, what I took from his comments was somebody mentioned to him like that the pre-sales weren't very good for Pacquiao versus Spence. Like pre-sale really means anything in boxing. Nobody buys pay-per-view on pre-sale. If you do, you're not the target audience. It's more the casual fan that you're trying to target. That is irrelevant. This was Errol Spence's opportunity to not only, I was going to say get another piece of the title, but he won't get that, but to beat a legend and have a king-making type of event that Manny Pacquiao had himself back in 2008. This would have been Spence's De La Hoya moment. Yep. Yes. Why would he ever pull out of it? Yes, no, no. And and you need that in, on your resume. I mean, he has... He has a great resume in Mikey Garcia, Danny Garcia, Sean Porter, but he doesn't have that legend. Like you said, he doesn't have that, 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 that name that's going to resonate for the next 20 years. You know, thankfully I have him. I have one of those Shane Mosley on, on my record. I have a Vernon Forrest on my record, but you need that, that hall of fame name. You need that legend. And that was his, that what, that's what, uh, you know, that's how you cross over and Errol Spence. How are you going to pull out of a fight like that? It, it's ridiculous. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He's got no. an eye injury. And thankfully, nowadays, these retina injuries, they're not as career-threatening as they used to be. It sounds like he'll be back. He says he's going to face the winner of Pacquiao-Ugas. I have no reason not to believe this. But besides, Errol Spence, shown some toughness over the course of the last couple me? of years, hasn't he? He's unbreakable. Yes. He's unbra- they're going <laughs> to make some toughness If they ever there. make Unbreakable, the movie, too, with aside from Bruce Willis, they should put Errol Spence. I think they did make a couple of versions of that movie. Well, they should do Errol Spence as the next one. So unbreakable it should be a reboot? Should, no, I think that was called Glass. Or, uh, and I love that tweet that uh, uh, Errol Spence said, like, I've been through tougher. I'll be back. Yes, he has. He He's unbreakable, man. Wreck, I believe but, it. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, that, let's put that to bed right now. Let's now move to Pacquiao against Ugas. Uh, Ugas, not well known to the mainstream public, but a very good fighter, excellent resume, good record. Um, how big a threat do you see Ugas being to Manny Pacquiao? You know, if, if Pacquiao was training for Ugas for eight weeks, for two months, and I would, I would say Pacquiao's going to, you know, run through him. But since he wasn't training for Ugas, he was training for a completely different style. This is going to be a problem for Manny Pacquiao. At 41 years old... And when you say completely different style, just to clarify, Spence is, Spence is a, a southpaw. southpaw. Right. A Ugas. strong, power-punching southpaw. Correct. Comes forward, excellent body puncher. Jordanis uh, Ugas is more of a... Of a, you know, he, he has that Cuban style, that, that amateur pedigree. He, he can be a cutie, he can bang, he can box, but he, he's mostly, you know, he'll be happy uh, pecking you apart. So he went from an aggressive southpaw to a guy that can back up and fight behind a jab and an orthodox fighter. So stylistically, at, at, I just think no matter how much of a legend Manny Pacquiao is, he's going to have trouble because it's timing, Mannix. I've been here before. I'm going to give you just in a nutshell. I was training for Kasim Uma, an aggressive southpaw. For 10 weeks, I had James Kirkland in my camp. I was getting my ass whooped for eight weeks. But I was training for a southpaw. That fight got canceled. It got scratched. And then I got thrown in with Elvin Ayala. 
a cutie, uh, an orthodox fighter. I struggled. I was in great shape. I was hungry. I was motivated, but I wasn't training to fight an orthodox fighter. I was, the timing was off. So it's this internal clock that Pacquiao, no matter how great of a legend, he's fought everyone you could think of under the sun, but that it's going to be like an internal thing. It's, it's a timing thing. I can't ex explain it really, but it's like training yourself to sleep like working the graveyard shift, training yourself to sleep at daytime to work in the nighttime. Then all of a sudden they're going to reverse the schedule on you. Your body, that timing is going to be off. That's what's going to be the issue here. Aside from Ugas being a hell of a fighter, the timing's going to be off for Pacquiao. It's dangerous. Well, Ugas too, remember, he was training for an orthodox fighter and Pacquiao's a southpaw, right? So, so it, there's also the, the reverse can be true for Ugas as well. He's training for a different style of opponent as well than... I forget who he was supposed to fight. Somebody who's the co-main event, uh, Fabian Maidana. Um, so I think there's there's an adjustment there as well. I think the other variable in all this is that Pacquiao has been off for two years. Like it was two years ago that he stepped in it's and incredible. beat up Keith Thurman, That's and now incredible. here he is in his early 40s, preparing to face uh, Ugas. So I, I I think part of me doesn't really know what to expect from Manny Pacquiao. Will we get the guy? with the speed, the ferocity, all those things that made Manny Pacquiao great, or of the last two years, taken something away from him because Father Time is undefeated in boxing. Or will we finally see the, the, the end of Pacquiao? You know, sometimes things like this are, are what when a fighter grows old. And with a style like Pacquiao, where you're burning the candle at both ends, I mean, it's just going to take one night where they turn old. It's going to be that one night after all those wars where they fall apart. And sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental. So I think this time, if Pacquiao has a bad night, you can make a great case for the fact that he was ready for Spence and not Uga. So if he has a bad night, it could be age, it could be style, it can be you know the fact that he was just not there mentally. But he's going to have a great excuse because I'm telling you, man, Fighters hate switches like this, especially the bigger the fight and the closer it is. How do you as a fighter explain Manny Pacquiao's uh, longevity in this sport? Because I can explain to a degree. I can't. Bernard Hopkins, I can explain, right? Because he didn't take a lot of punches. He was a very good defensive putt fighter. Pacquiao, time after time after time, is in wars. And fighters like that have a very limited shelf life sometimes they're done like in their early 30s they may hang around for a while but they're not fighting at the top level like Pacquiao was at age 40 is there anything you can see that explains that and and Hopkins mind you he started late and he right. lives a clean lifestyle he doesn't drink he won't even eat fish if it's cooked in white wine trust me I had dinner with him Pacquiao on the other hand he gambled he he, he drank he did all that stuff early in his career Bob Aram once famously said that you know, uh, the reason that Pacquiao was starting to lose because he stopped doing all that and got spiritual. You know, fighters like Pacquiao are throwbacks like Roberto Duran. You know, they, they, they can live a wild lifestyle. And then once you put them in that ring and if they're motivated, that's the main thing. If they're motivated, they, they can beat anyone any time. But Pacquiao, the second half of, the, of his career, he cleaned up his lifestyle. He became more of a spiritual person. And, and um, of course, he always trains hard. I can't explain it. No one can explain it. What he's doing at, you know, 40, 41 years old is unheard of. And that's why people, you know, sometimes since that word suspicion, we threw it out there already with Bernard Hopkins. That's why people are suspicious with Pacquiao. How is a man that started at 106 pounds doing what he's doing all the way to 154 this late in his career? You question it? I don't because I know he's great and we're watching a living legend and we just got to appreciate the fact that he does things others can't. On oh, a bizarre way. 
this Spence injury could turn out working out for Pacquiao. Like if he beats Ugas, and he's favored to beat Ugas at this point, if he beats Ugas the end of the year, early next year, we could see Pacquiao against Spence in another big fight and another big payday for Manny Pacquiao. And uh, that'd probably be even bigger fight. If Pacquiao can knock out Ugas and remind some people that have been, you know, that have seen him away from the game for the last couple of years, just how great he is, that Spence fight, frankly, gets even bigger. If. That's a big if. if. You don't think he wins? Who are you picking? Even if he wins. Who are you picking? Man, I'm going to tell you right now. I've, I've, I've seen this happen many a times. It happened to me. I think he's going to look sloppy. I think Pacquiao's going to look sloppy. But, uh, it's just not the right style for him. He wasn't preparing for him. Also, you're, you're up for a, a championship fight like Spence. And then you go to your Dennis Ugas. You know, I mean, a good fighter, a solid fighter, but he's not an A or B. He's like a C-plus type fighter as far as, like, what he brings to the table. You don't get motivated for that, man. So this is just a mental thing. I think he's going to look bad. Even in winning, I think he looks bad against Okay, so you think who who wins again? I'm not going to call an upset, of course, against a legend. (laughs) I just think Pacquiao wins, but he looks sloppy. Okay, I'm taking Pacquiao by unanimous decision uh, in this fight. Let's move on. Um, I want to talk about the WBA. Uh, The WBA has long been the worst sanctioning body in all of boxing. Here's a stat for you, Sergio, courtesy of our friend Dan Raphael. In 17 divisions the WBA has, they have 43 title holders. 17 divisions, 43. That's more than two per division. Uh, Now, you look at the other three, by the way, the other three sanctioning bodies, they have 54 title holders combined, the other three sanctioning bodies. WBA has always been shameless now we are getting a deeper look at some of the corruption last weekend michael fox 25 year old uh welterweight he won what appeared to be a clear decision over gabrielle uh maestre uh clear to everyone of course except for the three judges who all scored the fight for maestre the decision rob fox of the biggest win of his career and an interim 147 pound title whatever the fuck that is in the aftermath we learned that one of the judges gloria martinez rizzo has a history of racist tweets. Fox, of course, is black. Yahoo Sports reported that Gilberto Mendoza, the president of the WBA, is something of a shadow manager for Maestre, who is Venezuelan, where the WBA has been headquartered in the past. Mendoza is now scrambling. He says he has suspended Rizzo and has ordered a rematch between Fox and Maestre. For what it's worth, Fox told me he doesn't think Maestre is going to take that rematch. Mendoza says... He plans to start eliminating some of the WBO, some of the WBA titles beginning in the fall. Sergio, your reaction to this complete mess? I held my nose while you were uh, going on your rent there because it's it stinks. It stinks. It's that that's the reason it's you know boxing is is so um, so dirty sometimes. And and for you to sit there and tell me that there's 54 champions or 54 title holders in, in, in boxing. There's only 12 divisions. How, how in the hell is there that many champions? Well, no, there's not. I mean, to, for clarity, the WBA has 17 weight classes, uh, 43 title holders. The other three sanctioning bodies have 18 weight classes because gotcha. I believe Bridger weight still a Bridger thing. Bridger weight, right. That. But they only have 54 combined. So 43 in with one sanctioning body, 54 with all the other three. That's, Insane. That's still a lot. That's a lot of hubcaps Well, no, for, I mean, a lot I mean of putting that aside, titles, putting man. that aside, putting that aside. The 43 for the WBA is bonkers. We know that they have at least two 
uh, belt holders in most weight classes. Oftentimes, they have three. We are calling a fight on Saturday between Rene Alvarado and Roger Gutierrez, which is for one version of the WBA's 130-pound title. There are multiple versions of it out there. So the WBA is a parasite on boxing. It is sucking the life out of boxing with how it conducts its business. So, I mean, there's to be clear on the number of titles there. 43 is their number. Parasite. I would have say I would have said, you know, a vampire. But yeah, um the world Sick. champion, the super champion, the regular champion, the interim champion. But that's not even talking about gold champions that's, too, which is a new thing as well. Uh, yeah, diamond champions, champions in recess. Uh, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Tw- there's 12, now 13 divisions. There should be 13 champions like it was in the old days. That's Okay, there's 17 divisions. We have to keep doing this. 17. Okay, okay se- there should be 17 titles then. Yes. Um, I agree with you. One per weight only class. one be one per weight class, and that's one of the issues here. But whenever, whenever you start asking me, what do you do about this? Well, look, fighters aren't going to strike because when you pick up a belt, you make up make more money. So fighters aren't going to get together and change this. It's the people that are holding the reins, the people with actual power. It's the promoters and the networks that are going to have to do something here. They're going to have to get in the way here and say if the WBA is going to be the, the 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 sanctioning body that these fighters are going to fight 12 rounds for and for this belt they need to make sure that it's not a trinket that it's not a hubcap title that it's not one of these interim or or, or regular or or I don't know what I don't know which one it is anymore it has to be only one belt Correct. on the line and if they don't do that the people with power then they're going to keep getting away with it the fighters aren't going to say anything the fighters aren't going to get you know, a, a, a union and get together and say, no, because we're making money off of belts. We can come in holding a hubcap with leather, and if it's called a championship, we're going to walk out with it because it's going to make us a champion, quote-unquote, and we're going to get paid more money for it. So if anything's going to change, it has to be the promoters and the networks in charge because they have the money and they have the power. I agree. Um, promoters are probably never going to stop acknowledging these titles because to your point the average fan doesn't really know nope. who the champion is so if you have a telecast where you say a title is on the line a promoters is a title is on the line or whether it's Michael Buffer or Jimmy Lennon or any of these these bring announcers say this is for the WBA's welterweight championship of the world average fans don't really know where I do think it is important and this involves us and will involve me I'm sure on Saturday uh don't acknowledge it make sure an audience knows that this is fake that this title is from the land of make-believe it's not a real belt acknowledge who the real title holder is now the WBA's 130 pound belt is a little confusing because I think technically Roger Gutierrez should be considered the number one guy at 130 because the WBA just basically made up the idea that that Leo Santa Cruz should fight for that super championship at 130 just to get him that belt. Uh, So it's a little confusing there, but I think broadcasters, in the simplest possible terms, should say to their mass audience, this isn't real, and point out the corruption that takes place and why this isn't real. So... That's on us to a degree, and I, I certainly will be willing to say it. Listen, on Saturday. Th- that's why you're uh, there's a good cop, bad cop type. So that <laughs> you're, the, be the, bad you're the bad cop, and right. I, you know if it comes down to me, I, I would say something like, "Fighters love having belts around their waist." To be clear, they, just to just to clarify what the 130 pound WBA title picture looks like, the super champion 
is Gervonta Davis, who beat Leo Santa Cruz, who, by the way, has no intention of ever fighting at 130 ever again. The world champion. And Tank picked up a WBL belt at 140 Tank's as well. Tank's got two, no, 130. He's got, well, three. His, his titles, the only real title that Tank Davis has ever held has been the IBF belt at 130. Right. The one he beat, I believe it was Pedraza. Was that a defense? It was, that was involved in that fight. Then he lost on the scale uh, subsequently. After that, it was WBA manufactured belts at 130, 135, and 140 against Mario Barrio. So he is the recognized super champion, even though, as we said, I don't believe he should be recognized the top guy. Gutierrez, who fights Alvarado on Saturday, he's the world champion. The interim champion is Chris Colbert. Why the hell do you need an interim champion? Like, interim usually implies that, like, there's something wrong with the other fighters that you need to have an interim champion. You don't. Like, if something happens at your office, right, and your boss gets fired, there's an interim CEO sometimes, an acting CEO. That's what interim usually means. Why do you need an interim champion? There's two guys above him. There's no need for an interim champion. And then the gold champion, I don't even care about, but that's another one listed on the WBA's official website. It is bonkers how the WB operates. Different words for different sanctioning bodies. You just said it. Gold for another one, interim, regular. All this means not a champion. There should be one champion, and it just gets watered down here. And, and you're asking me what a fighter should do. Fighters like these belts. Promoters, networks. Okay, but how and, about- and if you want the fighters to do something, it's going to have to be the A side. It's going to have to be the, the guys that are actually making the big money, the A side, the guys that actually have a voice. They're saying, no, I'm not going to be fighting for that title because I'm not going to be, I'm going to be one of four champions. So no, I am not fighting for that world title. I get, well, look, I get why a Roger Gutierrez wants to keep that belt. He is not a well-known fighter. That belt has currency, like you said. But for example, Manny Pacquiao is going to face Ugas for the WBA title. Why in the world is Manny Pacquiao paying a sanctioning fee for the WBA title? Does the WBA title mean anything to Manny Pacquiao? He is an eight-division world champion. Why would he pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to this awful, awful sanctioning body for the right to hold their belt? No matter what, if he wins... He gets Errol Spence. Errol Spence, I'm sure, would like that belt because he wants to collect all four. But for Manny Pacquiao, why would you waste that money? Put that money in your pocket. Donate it to some country, uh, some uh, impoverished area in the Philippines. That's what he does. He's philanthropical. Donate that money. Don't give it to the WBA. You don't need that title. Fight for it. Like let let it be out there as at stake for Ugas, who probably still needs it. Ugas needs that belt to get those big fights. Uh, but for you, don't pay a nickel towards it. We've seen that happen before. Didn't, wasn't it, who was it? Was it Cotto or Canelo? One of them didn't pay the sanctioning fee for the WBC belt a while back. Uh, why don't, why these top fighters would even pay these sanctioning fees to these corrupt organizations, specifically the WBA, is beyond me. You just mentioned Canelo and Cotto. See, those are the guys that, that can make a difference. The yes. A side, the superstars. But when it comes to the B and C, they're not going to make a difference. They need those belts. They need the money. But it takes a, a, a big fighter to, with a big voice to actually make big changes. Like the second Canelo, if Canelo fights Caleb Plant, and he wants to be undisputed, I get that. That's meaningful towards him. But the second he wins all four belts, he should vacate every last one of them. Like, don't. I'm sure he will. Like, don't pay another I'm sanctioning sure he will. fee. That is wasteful spending. You and I waste money like nobody's business. We don't waste that kind of money. Like that is 
I did six last night. Fig- well, yeah, you did. You paid the bar tab for people or steak no. tab. Steak yeah. tab. Right. Wagyu. It was Wagyu meat. I don't think that's how you pronounce it. It, it was a massage cow. Anyway, back on track. <laughs> that was a massage cow. Okay. Anyway. I, anyway, I, I don't believe these fighters should be paying these sanction fees. That's it. All right. All right. We're going to move on. And don't yell at me. I'm not yelling at you. You are yelling. I'm yelling in general because well, this, I'm, this frustrates me. Save that me. passion for on air. This We are on air. This is my podcast. On air. This is on air. Yeah, just this don't yell at me. me. I'm not yelling at you. You're sitting there in my room with sunglasses on. Okay. It's the middle east. Don't, don't raise your voice at me. Don't raise your voice. All right. Let's finish with uh, more virus invading boxing. On August 28th, David Benavidez was scheduled to be back in the ring against Jose Ustakagi. Uh, that was a meaningful fight for Benavidez, who is trying to get back in the 168-pound world title picture. He had been talked about as a potential opponent for Caleb Plant. He had been talked about as a potential opponent for Jamal Charlo. Now, that fight is off, at least as far as August 28th goes, because David Benavidez has tested positive for COVID-19. He is now quarantining, according to his father, for 14 days, which indicates he was not uh, vaccinated. Sergio, first it was Teofimo Lopez. Now it's Tyson Fury. Or then it was Tyson Fury. Now it's David Benavidez. When are these fighters going to get vaccinated. Why do we still have active boxers that are unvaccinated? If I were still fighting, uh, you could add me to that list as well. Fighters hate putting foreign foreign objects, for, not objects, but foreign substances, things in their body. Substances. substances. There you go. Into their body. Because we, we live a certain lifestyle and we don't want... I didn't even like taking Advil when my, my, my bones were aching. I didn't, like, I didn't like taking anything if it wasn't food or water when I was training. Maybe a protein shake. That's the only thing I'll, I would do. But since, since these... Um, okay, but David Benavidez has not been training this entire time, okay? I, I, I get it, but aside from not wanting to put anything in your body, this is a, a vaccine that's not... I don't want to get political. Oh, don't go I'm there. not going to go ha- there. You I'm are not gonna, vaccinated. I know Now this. I am, yes, but uh, but um, I wouldn't have done it if I was fighting either. I'll tell you the truth. Why? I, because I don't know how it's going to treat my body, how it's going to react to my how body. How is it treat your body now? Uh, I don't feel anything. Exactly. But, I get it. Okay, but if you're Do you a fighter, know any boxers if that you're, have felt something if you're in your young 20s okay. and you're 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 you know suspicious about everything and you question everything and you your body is your temple it's and all you do thing. is like just all you like, do is work like, out. Fighters are stubborn, Mannix. Correct. Fighters are fuck, freaking stubborn. You can swear it's fine. No, you swore. I did. Yeah. All right, what, so you, fighters potty mouth now. Fighters <laughs> are fucking stubborn, and that's part of the reason they're fighters. They do something that. 99% of the people in the world and the population will not do. And they do it because they want to, because they, they, they go against the grain. They, they, they're, they're salmon-minded. They go against the tide or whatever it is, the, the stream. So, <laughs> so you're not going to tell a fighter what, what to do and what not to do. Okay. You're not going to tell them what to do or what not to do. So if I were fighting, I probably wouldn't do it either. But, you know, it, I, I'm already past that, that, that era, that stage. Okay. I, I respect that opinion because you, you, you've been there. You've lived that. I would also just add that there is no evidence that this vaccine outside of like, you know, a few hours, 24 hours after being injected with it has any kind of meaningful impact. That second it. vaccine knocked me on for how my, long? For 24 hours. Oh, that's what I said. I was, 24 hours. I was bedridden. I couldn't get up. That second one knocked me on my okay, butt. Okay, but Tyson Fury spent months gallivanting around the country. We saw him at the Billy Joe Saunders fight. We saw him at uh, shopping malls in Vegas. Like, you can't take some time Bef- during that before, to go get vaccinated. When this pandemic was at its peak, 
they were talking about vaccines taking over a year to make. This vaccine was made, and here I go getting political. Yes. It got made in six months. How, how all of a sudden out of thin air, they made a vaccine okay, that early, get, that fast. Okay, just to, I'm not getting into this either. Me neither, so let's not be, get into to it. To be clear, this vaccine was not just made in six months. Vaccines like this were in the works. The levers were tweaked a little bit. The knobs were tweaked a little bit, and you come up with a vaccine. You asked a that fighter works. that's stubborn. You know, a former once a fighter, always a fighter. I'm still stubborn. If I were still in my fighting days, I would question that thing too, because I don't know what's being put into my body. I didn't even like taking anything else. Nobody's telling you to be part of the trial for it. They're saying like after clinical studies have been done, and after, by the way, more than three billion people have been vaccinated, I'm and one there's of them. only anecdotal evidence I'm one of, them. of any kind of side effects. I, I would, and plus. It's in, Sergio, it's in a fighter's best interest. This is not like the NBA, where if a guy catches COVID, he still gets paid. Those paychecks still coming. There is a cost, uh, a future cost problem for fighters. Because David Benavidez, maybe he's back in three months, but that that changed the entire timeline of his career. There's going to be like a back end of this where he doesn't make money. And same thing for Fury. Fury Wilder, Sergio, Fury Wilder set for October 9th. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. I don't know. These guys get injured all the time. So, like, it, Teofimo Lopez, do we even have a date for him to fight? That's what I was like, going to say. If I were Teofimo Lopez and I was, uh, you know, there was a $6 million purse in front of me, I would take four vaccines if that was the case. But um, that's not the case. So now you've Benavides. established, like, but you've established <laughs> where, this is what I'm talking about. Like, again, we don't need to go too far off topic here, but, like, people's uh, resistance to the vaccine has a limit, right? Like, I just saw in New Orleans, they said you can't get into uh, the Saints stadium without a vaccine or a negative test. Like all of a sudden you're going to see Saints fans who are, I don't want to get the vaccine. Well, I want to go to Saints game. So maybe I will get the vaccine. So there's always uh, a line that guys were like, all right, well, if, if I'm going to make $6 million, then I'll go. Ty, uh, Deontay right. Wilder did this. Right. Like Deontay Wilder was like, I didn't want to get the vaccine, but at least according to Malik Scott said, I didn't want to get the vaccine, but you know, a lot of money on the line here. Money changes things. And by you the need way, a, you need a dangling carrot in front of people in order for them to go in that direction. By the way, ask Jamel Herring how you perform in your first fight post-COVID. Not post-vaccine, post-COVID. It has a, a potential of lingering effects on your training and how you get in the ring. So I would argue that COVID is a million times more dangerous than the vaccine. Yeah. At least for fighters especially. I mean, I... I, I... I didn't have COVID. I, I don't know how it felt. but I from, did. It sucked. You're it not sucked. A fighter. You're not a fighter. Correct. But it, it, that's not the point. Like, everybody's body reacts a certain way to it. And Jamel Herring, in elite shape, I think we both agree, went into that next fight. I think it was Jonathan Akendo and said he didn't feel great at all in that fight. He had lingering effects of COVID. We'll see what Teofimo Lopez feels in his next fight. We'll see if Tyson Fury feels going to this next, this next fight. I, it's far more dangerous to me. I, to, I don't know what to tell you, man. I avoided, thank, thankfully, thank God. I don't I avoided, know how you avoided it. I avoided COVID uh, for 2020, but you caught it. I guess germs attract germs. I don't know. Well, I, okay. You live a lifestyle that should not be. I'm very clean, dude. I'm very clean. You've no, been in my room. you're not clean. You pick you, up after yourself. You've been yourself. to my room. I have. I'm very it's, clean. You pick up after yourself. Not necessarily clean. It's not the same thing. I got dude wipes. You are, you are neat, Sergio. Meticulous. I think we're done here. One of the things I love about betting on FanDuel Sportsbook, and I do every day, is you get more than one shot to swing for the fences. Right now, new and existing users, new and existing, get up to 25 bucks back in site credit each day. Just place a minimum five-leg baseball parlay, and if it fails, 
one leg short, you get up to 25 bucks back with Parlay Insurance. Okay, it's a chance to put a small bet down and win big. You give your betting picks for the day using current odds available on FanDuel Sportsbook. There's a reason FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is really easy to use. Great odds on all different betting markets. Unique, fun bet types like same-game parlay. That's the best thing they have, in my opinion. Same-game parlays. And always-on promotions let you get more out of every game action. And if you win on FanDuel, they pay you in as little as 24 hours. In addition to the parlay insurance, if you haven't tried FanDuel Sportsbook yet, new users can place your first bet risk-free. That's right. New users, 1000 bucks back in site credit, if your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app, sign up with the promo code Colin to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code Colin. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Indiana, or New Jersey. Must wager in designated offer market. $10 first deposit required, 150 max bonus. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gaming problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, and 1-800-GAMBLER in Jersey. All right, Virgil Ortiz is a welterweight title contender on August 14th. Ortiz will take on Igis Kavajowskis at the Ford Center, just outside of Dallas, Texas, uh, where Ortiz is from, of course. That's a fight you can see exclusively on DAZN. And Virgil joins me here on the podcast. Uh, Virgil, growing up in Dallas, how big was boxing? Um, It, it was pretty big growing up, you know, uh, especially the Dallas Golden Gloves. You know, we would have like almost 50 teams try to enter the Dallas Golden Gloves, the weigh-ins would take literally all day, maybe even maybe even to the next day. <laughs> and we would have to have two sessions, and those sessions would be like 100 fights per session. So that's that's talking like 200 fights a day. It's crazy. So boxing was really big growing up. You think of Texas, you think of football, of course. Did you play football growing up? I didn't, no. Did you have any pressure to play football growing up? Just boxing. Just straight <laughs> boxing for me. <laughs> I mean, was football? I mean, it feels like football was all around in Texas. I mean, how in Dallas was it as big? Oh, oh no, yeah, definitely. There was a uh, football was probably bigger than boxing. I mean, it's it's most definitely bigger than boxing over there. But you know, coming from family, you know, my dad just had me straight boxing. You know, the only other sport he let me do was cross country, and that's because it kind of benefited me with the conditioning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So no interest in football for you? That surprises me a little bit. No, I mean, you know, I'll throw I'll throw the ball with my brother or something, you know, play a little catch, jump into the pool, trying to catch the the crazy catches or whatever. But no, we I didn't really play football. Did you watch Friday Night Lights when it was on? I did not. Oh man, I feel like that's I mean, that is just so Texas, man. Like you gotta well, I don't I don't like watching sports. I don't like watching sports. <laughs> that's I mean that's why. more like scripted drama though than it is sports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great show, by the way. If you ever get a chance to watch it, I've I've seen like I've rewatched it about a dozen times probably in my life. It's uh I thought it was I thought you were talking about it was like an NFL segment. See, that's how much I don't know about it. <laughs> that's what I thought you meant. No, that the you know, based on the book, um, you know the movie, of course, was in Permian, but the book had uh, the T V show had the uh the fake town of the uh, Dylan okay. Panthers, which was Okay, okay. Great show if you ever get a chance to see it. Okay. Um when the fight you had against Hooker, after you beat Hooker, was this fight against Kavayaskis the one that you wanted? 
the one that I wanted was against Crawford. But you know, this fight is is probably a step in the right direction, anyways. It's it's right up that alley. And uh, I'm I'm not mad about this fight at all. I, I think it's a really good fight. The fans have been asking for this fight, so I'm really excited about it. Did you think that Crawford was possible? I mean, I was there with you uh, in the ring. Crawford was watching, of course, a stablemate of Maurice Hooker. Um, I know you called him out, but did you think that it was possible? I think it's definitely possible, you know. Uh, I'm number one in the WBO right now. Um, I was already uh, scheduled to fight Kovalyaskis, so now he's fighting uh, Sean Porter. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, you know, hopefully we both win and I get my shot. When... You know, when when Kavioskis is suggested to you, um, was that something that excited you? You know, a little bit, yeah. Because he's he's an exciting fighter. And those are the kinds of fighters that I like to be in the ring with, you know? Not only... Well, no, I mean, it helps me. It helps me because it, it helps my stock rise. It, uh, it makes people want to continue watching my fights, you know? And... In a way, it kind of takes the pressure off of me. I don't have to try really hard to make the fight exciting mm-hmm. and be smart at the same time. And he's, that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. He, he's out there saying this fight is going to have fireworks. I feel like that feel like going in there and just trying to trade with you, not the, the best strategy. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you watched? I mean, he obviously had a high-profile fight against Crawford. Have you seen much tape on him? And when you look at it, what do you think? Yeah, I've seen a few tapes. Uh, I try not to go too strongly on those tapes because, you know, we're, we're all different fighters. We all have different styles. We're going to have different reactions to the styles that we're fighting. So I, I take him not with a grain of salt, but like, okay, you know, he might do a habit of this or whatever, but I always keep in mind that it's going to be different when we get into the ring. When, you know, Hooker was the most high-profile fight of your career, a former world champion at 140. You get the stoppage uh, there. What did you take away from that fight? I mean, what what I took away from that fight, I didn't take a whole lot. Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I had COVID during that training camp, and mm-hmm. I felt like shit the entire fight. Um, I was probably like 60%, 70%. The main thing that I took from that fight is that no matter what situation I'm in, I'm – I can do it no matter what. How close were you to having to cancel that fight because of how you felt? Man, <laughs> I had I had to convince my team, no, let's go. We got to keep going. We have mm. to. I, I can do this. What What was it that made you want to take that, even though if you had put – nobody would have blamed you, certainly, if you had pushed the fight a couple of weeks or even a couple of months? Um. I just feel like, I mean, honestly, yeah, it was a risk to do, but I just feel like it would have been a waste of time. You know, I'm already in camp. I've been training for a little over a month already. I got it like kind of in the middle of training camp. And yeah, I I probably had like a week of sparring, you know, before the fight. But, you know, I, it's just one thing about me. I'll, I'll bring it if I got to bring it. It's hard to tell sometimes, Virgil, what is a tough fight for you. I mean, you've had some guys go, you know, five, six rounds, whether it's a Roscoe, Brad Solomon, you had Maurice Hooker do kind of the same thing. Where does the Hooker fight rank for you among the tougher fights that you've had? Um, uh, or was it that tough? Is, I guess not even the question isn't, is, was it a tough fight? Yeah, it, it was, of course, it was a tough fight. You know, he's a, uh, 
he had a good reach advantage. He, you know, he, he had some power on him, but again, it wasn't anything I hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. When you step in the ring, you've got all your fights have ended by knockout. Do you feel any pressure to keep that knockout streak going? No pressure at all. No pressure at all. Um, Honestly, I just want to fight. I want to. I want to look good in my fight. You know, there. I've been. I've been in a lot of amateur fights where I got the knockout, but I didn't look good doing it. My dad was telling me, "Dude, you should have. You know, you should have did this. You know, you you looked a little sloppy in there." And I had some fights where I went the distance, but you know, he was really proud of my performance. So it's it's just a matter of how I look. I, I remember by having getting, this conversation. You know, I had a similar conversation with Edgar Berlanga recently where he was telling me how he was kind of relieved that his first round knockout streak ended in his last fight. Will there be any part of you that will be, I don't know, relieved if you go to the decision at some point? Um, I don't know if relieved is the word for it, but maybe, um, maybe I'll be kind of happy that I'll be getting that 12 round experience, you know, mm. maybe this fight, maybe in a, in an upcoming fight, you know, that's, that's valuable experience that I'll need. You're going to, you're slowly kind of increasing the size of the venues that you're fighting in, in Texas, becoming a big draw in Texas. You and hooker both from the Dallas area, but those fans were there for you in your last fight um, against Maurice hooker. I mean, is it important to you to kind of become a big draw in Texas? Oh yeah, of course. You know, I have a lot of fans in Texas. I have a lot of family and friends. A lot of uh, you know, former teachers that that still hit me up from time to time, you know. It's uh it's it's a good feeling when you have all that support behind you. What's your dream venue in Texas? You know this one. It's the Cowboy Stadium <laughs> in Arlington. You already know. Let me, let me tell you, that Canelo fight in front of seventy three thousand was wild. That was crazy. That was, that crazy. was wild. Like that. The intensity of that crowd. That's a lot of boxing fans. A lot of Canelo fans, certainly first and foremost, but a lot of oh, boxing yeah. fans in there that just packed that bad boy in. Um, you know, one thing I don't know, you know, people know about you when your trainer is is Robert Garcia, and there are a lot of, I mean, the, the sparring you get at that Oxnard gym has got to be incredible. World champions, Mikey Garcia, Jose Ramirez, among others that have passed through there. How would you describe the sparring sessions you're able to get in that gym? Oh, I've I've taken a lot from those sparring sessions, and you know it's it's uh it's an honor to be here. You know, it's I've gotten in some great sparring with some great fighters that have been in those great fights, and you know the experience is rubbing off. How I mean, give me an example of how intense those sparring sessions might get. Uh, for example, me and Jose Ramirez, Jose, uh, Robert doesn't even like us sparring. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a good example right there. Why Why doesn't he like you sparring? Hey, we damage each other a lot, so you know he he has to keep us away. Is it fair to say the sparring sessions are more physical than some of your fights? I would say that people would pay to watch those sparring sessions. <laughs> I mean, do they, how many rounds do they go? Uh, so, you know, I think if I spar with them, you know, the you know the higher you know caliber guys, I would say like eight to ten, sometimes twelve. Mm-hmm. You guys are are all high-level guys. Jose, a former world champion who is going to get back to that level. Mikey, of course, you know, multi-division world champion. Do you guys have any kind of like packed where, because you're all around the same weight class. Like, do you have any kind of pact that says, look, we're we're going to try to win titles, but we're not going to fight each other along the way? Uh, it's I don't think it's necessarily a pact. I think it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a, it's, it's an unwritten rule. You know, when someone makes a three at a basketball court, you pass it back to them. 
mm-hmm. you know it's, it's just like that you know it's, it's an unspoken rule you that you think won't about it you don't talk about it yeah 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 you think last question for you, you think this fight if you win it convincingly is a springboard to terence crawford being your next fight I, I believe so. You know, I, I don't see why not because, you know, he fought Crawford the last fight. He did really good himself, in my opinion. And I'm number one in the WBO. I have the WBO International. I don't, I, there's really no reason for that fight not to happen. Do you feel like you're more ready for that fight after the hooker experience? Because you had been saying you want big fights in the past, having done your fights over the last few years. But it feels like your, your confidence level to for you to take that fight now is at the highest it's been yeah i i definitely feel myself getting better you know every after every camp after every fight that i get i'm only getting stronger i'm only getting faster smarter so it's it's only a matter of time mm-hmm. it's gonna be good to see you back in virgil august 14th against caballoskis that's a fight you can see live on the zone good to see you man and we'll see you down in texas yes sir That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Sergio Mora and Virgil Ortiz for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And next week, maybe we'll bring back Sergio Mora if we can track him down. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.